Hey guys, have you checked out 336 Daily? Did you know that sometimes, in fact, pretty often, I've been recording it in my car while driving to different job sites? That's how easy Anchor is to make podcasts. With Anchor, you can record your podcast and edit your podcast and upload your podcast all in the Anchor app, and then it makes sure it goes after iTunes and Spotify and wherever you need to put it. It, they take care of everything, distribution. They help you with advertising and getting in commercials. Check out the Anchor app. Go to the App Store and download the Anchor app for free or go to anchor.fm to check it out. Have you heard? The bird's the word. Section 336, the next generation of Baltimore sports talk. Today on the show, the zany one is out again. But we have more than an adequate replacement as we discuss Tillman being hurt, J.J. Hardy being hurt, T.J. McFarlane being DFA'd, and there may even be a little bit of good news in there to talk about, too. We'll see. All that and more on this edition of Section 336. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Baltimore sports fans of all ages, welcome to Section 336, the next generation of Baltimore sports talk. I am your endearing stuttering host, Matt Sroka, and as always, I'm joined by the button lover, Josh Sroka. How many episodes this year has Bird already missed? Yeah, I don't know. For, for 2017? Yeah. He's becoming about <laughs> as reliable as J.J. Uh, Hardy playing shortstop right now. You, you really want to jump into that? Uh, and we're also joined by a- Adam Pohl. Adam, welcome. Yes, it's great to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. And we have a... An introduction. Someone took the time to write up an introduction <laughs> for Adam. So let's let the listener uh, I, I, get to I know cop- Adam. Copied and pasted it. Uh, he's from BaltimoreBaseball.com, or he uh, he works for BaltimoreBaseball.com. He's also the Bowie Bay Sox play-by-play guy. Adam Pohl is the host of or- Orioles Minor League Podcast on BaltimoreBaseball.com. So we're going to get some minor league talk here. Uh, Pohl was the longest-standing lead play-by-play broadcaster in the Orioles Minor Leagues. Entering in his 11th season. Can you tell by my hairline? (laughs) (laughs) Calling games in the O's Farm System. Paul is the current voice of the Bowie Bay Sox, uh, but has also called games for Frederick Keys, Salem Avalanche, the Burlington Indians, and in in professional baseball prior. He has called each of the last three Oreo minor league championships. Frederick, oh, that's fun. Frederick in 2007, 2011, and then Bowie most recently in 2015. And was the master of ceremonies for the opening uh, session of the winter meetings in 2016. Away from baseball, Paul was the voice of the Mount St. Mary's men basketball team. 
Ah, oh, that's cool too. Poe and his wife Angela go, live go in Odenton, Maryland. There so we go. You read this ahead of time. Uh, <laughs> I'll it's tell you, fun for me to learn too as I read. That's right. That's right. It's uh, yeah. That's it's been a great. Bio. It, yeah. Thank you. It's it's been a lot of fun. I grew up an Orioles fan, and uh, I was kind of one of those DC area kids that uh, that grew up, you know, with with the Orioles being their team. And for me, uh, one of the signs that I'm now a veteran in minor league baseball. Uh, minor league teams change their names quite a bit, so right. yeah. most of the teams I've worked for are not no longer called that anymore. So that, that's that's always a sign that you're on on the older side. The Burlington Indians are now the Burlington Royals, and the Salem Avalanche are the Salem Red Sox. I was with Salem when they were an Astros affiliate, and uh, my first full season team I worked with had both Hunter Pence and Ben Zobrist oh, on how it. Cool. So that was uh, pretty neat. How cool? Yeah, yeah. and yeah, and as, as affiliations change. Um, uh, their their main you know parent organization they often change change the name along with that. But normally when we have someone sit here, um, if I were to read their bio, it would be like attends Mount St. Joe High School, has a B in English class, something like that. Because we have a you know bunch of the millennials are coming here and uh, the, the bloggers, yeah. yeah, the bloggers. So it's cool to have someone with some some credentials. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, and we're gonna get into some some minor league guys, and we're gonna get into a, a, a lot of good stuff. But let's start with the signing that we just heard at breaking news, yeah. which is cool because normally all the news breaks on Tuesday, the, right the, the day after. The day after we do our show. Yeah. Uh, but Michael Bourne signed a minor league deal. This was just a few days after Craig Gentry was also signed. A similar, can we say, similar type speedy Old outfielder. outfielder minor league contract. Yeah. Um, and this is this is Dan and Buck just. Stock in AAA, right? I guess. I mean, Chris Dickerson is back once again this year. Uh, you still have uh, Christian Walker playing in the outfield. You have well, Dariel Alvarez. I well, mean, that, there's, that, there's a lot of guys. The problem is, uh, don't all these signings mean that the top of the organization doesn't trust those outfielders developed in the minors? Like, we've seen Christian Walker go down the, the prospect list, and we'll talk about that later. But we've had all these outfielders sitting out there that are young guys, they just don't trust them to help the the big leagues right now. In essence, that's true. I mean, in essence, you're you're looking at them not wanting to give a guy like Christian Walker or Alvarez, you know, 500 at bats right. uh, in the big leagues. And the Orioles, more than any other team that I know, uh, really try to stockpile veteran players that they feel can give them a little bit of a spark. Uh, guys that can give them an option that have big league uh, pedigree in the past. Uh, we were just talking about a little bit before uh, the podcast started here. And I think that it's interesting because you start thinking, well, there's only so many positions. Where do all these guys play? But this is the way that Baltimore's done it over the last few years. And, and last year, it resulted in, in three guys of the big league time, not even being in AAA, but down in AA with Joey Terdoslovich, Henry Arudia, and Julio Borbone. And Borbone got up and got a few calls to the major leagues when Adam Jones was a little bit nicked right. up. So they, they try to, I think, keep all their bases covered. Yeah, you can imagine some of these guys like Arudia who – has been kind of patiently waiting his, his, his opportunity. Every time the Orioles sign another guy like this, you know, he just shakes his head because that makes it a little <laughs> more, a little more di- yeah. di- difficult. Is he still in the organization? He is, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and do, is he going to be at Bowie? Is that where we would expect him to be back again? I don't know. I, it's 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 interesting. Uh, obviously, will they keep all of these players is, is another question because right. they've signed some other outfield. The outfield just looks very, very 
tight as in AAA as far as where these guys are going to get playing time. Last year, they brought back Xavier Avery and LJ Hose, but those players are now out of the organization. It appears Avery is signed, I think, with the Braves, and Hose is yet to sign anywhere. But well, now, and he now has that fifty-game uh, suspension, right? Uh, Hose exactly. Has, so it's going to be even harder for him to find a job. But we've got all these. Uh, we just mentioned all of these different players, and, and many of them. You know, the average Double A player is twenty-four years old, and the majority of players we're talking about, like Bourne and. Gentry, Gentry's a little bit younger, I guess, but, but still Dickerson. You're talking 30s. about guys that are that are past thirty years old. Yeah, yeah, and that's why when um uh, when other when some people were criticized or it was my minor league farm system and Dan Duquette or someone else will come back with well in like 2015 Bowie won right. Well, one of the reasons that Bowie will win some baseball games is because they're a lot older and and we don't have the the high prospects, but we have some veterans playing in those minor league in that lower minor league. It's true, but the Orioles. I think have gotten not as much credit as they deserve. Okay. Uh, when you look in the Orioles minor leagues, uh, especially five to ten years ago, because when you look at who came up through Bowie in 2008 to 2013, uh, it's it's the core of the Orioles. And even at that time, they, they weren't rated as the number one or number two or number three organization. They were rated like right around the middle of the pack and they were bringing up you know, dominant major league players yeah. like Jake Arrieta, you know, and uh, of course that you know, Chris Tillman, us, right? right. But, <laughs> but but we're talking about yeah. guys that have become. I mean, Manny Machado, Chris Tillman, Zach Britton, and you could add to that list guys who we traded away like Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, and I saw was it Josh Hader? I just saw was on the top one hundred. Oh, prospects. definitely. Yeah, I I think the the trade that's going to hurt the Orioles. You know, even looking now, and we're going to get into the Chris Tillman thing, but it just continues to kind of irk uh, me a little bit that Zach Davies was kind of this guy that you could tell was going to be a dependable major league starter. Yeah. And he, he had double-digit wins last year with Milwaukee. He's not going to be, you know, a dominant major league pitcher, but uh, the Orioles don't need a dominant major league pitcher. They need solid major league pitching, and they kind of gave away Zach for, for almost nothing. And I... I you're not going to win every trade, and that was that was one that uh, probably is going to come back to bite him a bit. Yeah, uh, and and going back to the Dan Duquette type mold and type player, and we talked about this I guess a couple of years ago when he first came in, but this idea of former first round picks he seems to like a lot, right? Or former like Craig Gentry. I was looking at his numbers. I didn't realize this in uh, 2012 and 2013. 2012 he batted 304 on base at 367. In the next year, he batted 280 and on base of 373, and that's playing in uh, right. he had, uh, playing 122 games in 2012, 106 in 2013. So he has shown like well, that's what they do. They bring in guys that at one point showed potential, and they think we can bring that. Potential he's dealt back. with some injury issues. Right. Like if he gets everything works out, all the stars aligned. Right. It doesn't always work, but kind that's the, what they try. Like the Delman Young was the kind of the same Delman Young same mindset. Yeah, and Nate, the, McLeod Nate McLeod was was one. Yeah. On the pitching side, that's why they signed uh, Johan Santana. Same idea. Yeah, uh, old guy that had had potential one they time had, had injury issues. He didn't. They didn't. They have not had the success on the pitching side right. of the ball. But for your uh, fourth outfielder, they have had some guys like Delman Young and Nate McLeod where that has worked out. Yeah, and 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 they and they said like coming into the off season, um, Adam Jones said it and Dan Duquette said it uh, that they wanted to improve the outfield defense. Yes, mm-hmm. and it's hard to do that if it's you don't sign Dexter Fowler. There's not like a bunch of other guys who are really good and can be everyday outfielders. That, that was the only guy. Yeah. So outside of that, what do you do? 
And so this is one response. We sign minor league guys, and maybe you hope one of them if if you can plays keep, well and he can get and he can be that fourth outfielder. Right. If you don't need Trumbo to to play in right field, you've improved your outfield. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's not a good scenario if he's playing right field. Right. Correct. So by letting him be DH and having a guy who's better defensively out there, you're going to improve that outfield, but still get the performance of Trumbo in your lineup. Would you guys expect either either Craig Gentry or Michael Bourne to make the opening day roster? Should we expect that? You know, it's getting crowded out there. I think it depends on these Rule 5 guys. Because they love to go with the Rule 5 guys. Yeah. And if they have an opportunity, Rickert's, I think this seals that Rickert's going to start in Norfolk. You think so? Yeah, unless he has an unbelievable spring like he had last year. Because he's got the options. Why would you, when you're trying to juggle people, why would you start him up here? Well, I'll tell you why. It reminds me about three or four years ago when it was Ryan Flaherty was coming back after his Rule 5 year. And we all thought, oh, he'll definitely be sent to the minors. But Buck loved him so much that he ended up staying up the whole... And he's never gone to the minors. I've yes. never even seen him play a full season no. to know if he can really play or not. Like, <laughs> he, we've never even seen no, him No, he, he has been sent to the minors. Oh, oh, uh, Rickard, you mean... I thought you were saying uh, Flaherty. He, yeah, did say, Flaherty. He, has, he has moved Flaherty yeah. to the minors for these little, like, one-day right, right. extra pitcher moves. But we've never seen him play, like, a full season no, anywhere. No. <laughs> So I wonder no. if they're going to do the, the Rule 5 with the Joey Rickard. Well, and it makes you wonder, with, with Flaherty, people love to hate on Flaherty. And I kind of wonder if the move we saw uh, just a few days ago with McFarlane, DFA'd, uh, Flaherty is very similar to TJ McFarlane, but as an infielder. As the guy who, who Buck believes can help him wherever he needs it. He Buck had the same philosophy with McFarland. He can do spot starts. He can eat up innings. He can fill in here. So he kept him around because he was left-handed. Yeah. And I feel like Flaherty's the same way. And is Flaherty out of options yet? Because I feel like once he runs out of options... Yeah, he must be. He's, he's got to be. He, uh, then why... Then he, it doesn't make sense for him to be the this guy. Well... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, who, then you're gonna bring up another utility infielder. Right. Who else is gonna I play guess, shortstop I guess you and need, second you and need third? A utility especially with JJ Hard the way he is. Yeah. All right. I want to. Um, we have Adam Poehler, and I want to. I want to pick his brain a little bit <laughs> about um, about the the minor leagues that I don't, yeah. know, I don't know a ton about. So I want to start with this. This is something I've always wondered. All right. So I remember uh, this is going back to uh, when Manny Machado was, was at Bowie. Mm-hmm. Were, were you at Bowie when Manny Machado was at Bowie? I was not, but I was in Frederick when Manny was in Frederick. Okay. I remember watching, and I went to Bowie, saw him play. I remember following his career very closely. Because this is, before Manny was here, we stunk, and he right. was our hope. So we watched every game. Right. Since we Weeders didn't every turn out, score. it was all Manny. And at, at shortstop at Bowie, and, and probably at Frederick, he was, his arm was wild. <laughs> like, he was made a lot of errors. Mm-hmm. A lot of errors. And I thought, they took him from shortstop. He played maybe one game at third at Bowie. Then they brought him up to be the starting third baseman. I thought, this is going to be a disaster defensively. <laughs> He's making a bunch of errors at short. They're moving him to a new position. It's going to be a disaster. He's turned out to be obviously fantastic. Um, but I, I was wrong. Did what, what did you see? Like, when you first saw Manny, did you say, oh, man, this kid is, is special on all levels? Like, what was your, kind of your first reaction to, to Manny Machado? Well, I, I asked some people in the organization that were other players about him because the Orioles had some picks that obviously had failed to pan out that uh, were top yes. 10 picks. Billy Rowell, Matt Hobgood. <laughs> so, we, we know the list well, yeah. Yeah, so so when I, when I talked to a few players uh, about Manny, they talked about him like he was unbelievable. Like yeah. he was a better hitter 
uh, than they'd ever seen as far as his ability to square up the baseball. So they talked about him the way they talked about Matt Wieters? Is that what? Yeah, I guess <laughs> Matt Wieters was such a different case, though, because Matt Wieters was so dominant of a player right away because he was a college junior side right, yeah, where Manny, Manny was so young. I mean, yeah. he was, I believe, when he played his first professional game, he may have been 17 years old. Yeah. Machado, when he rehabbed with Frederick, uh, I don't know if it would have been last year or the year like before. He was the third youngest player on the Keys. Yeah, the, the when he, when the he rehabbed. rehabbed. After already yeah, playing the majors, crazy. coming back with the rehab. <laughs> After yeah. be- being an outstanding major league player. Machado defensively was incredible. And uh, uh, there, there's a player that really stands out to me about it, uh, which is a pitcher named Scott Copeland. And Copeland had an ERA uh, that was around six with Delmarva. And when he came to Frederick and he had Manny at short and he had Jonathan Scope at second base and the Keys had a double A shortstop that was playing his final professional season, but it was a really good defensive player, very rangy named Dale Molenauer at third. Okay. And Copeland was a ground ball pitcher and he just said every ground ball's an out. You know, the range of all of these players were just at a different level. He he had a two ERA in Frederick, came back, repeated with the keys the next year when all those guys were gone, and he had a five and a half ERA. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it, it's remarkable. And we saw with the Orioles, when, when Machado went to third base in 2012, his range with Hardy uh, still playing such an outstanding shortstop at that time, it made the Orioles such a dominant left side of the yeah. infield. And defensively, I think that elevated the team. And, and it's such a hard thing to quantify. But uh, but basically, when Machado was in Frederick, it was quite clear that the Keys defensive infield might have been better at the end of 2011 than even Baltimore's. It was yeah. that good. Yeah. And uh, it led the Keys to to their last championship. And even though Machado was basically a guy that hit 240 or 250, the reality is that he was playing against guys that were on average four or five years older than right. him. And that's how you have to always look at the minor leagues. You know, when you see a guy that puts up big numbers at double A, but he's 26 years old, he might not have much of a position. Right. Well, it's the, the, there's kind of a feel, well, you should be doing that. Where if, if a guy can hang in there, Machado played in Bowie at the age of 19, which is, yeah. you almost never see yeah. that. And and he held his own, and uh, Scope was very similar in that regard. You know, if they played in AA now, they would be the average age of a AA player, and they'd be obviously dominant. Right, sure, right. Sure. So are we talking about the average a- age of a AA player? I'm, I'm sure I can look this up, but are we right. talking like 23 years old? Is yeah, that- 24 is the average age, okay. almost 25. Uh, okay. so, for a double A player. So it's going to be interesting to watch this year. Current prospect, Chance Sisko, yeah. who I believe will be 22 as he goes into this season. Um, and I think we would expect him to, to, to be at Bowie, or, or maybe not. I, I, I think he's going to be in AAA, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So Cisco is going to be really interesting to watch, but uh, but so many people. This is what's hard about being a fan in this regard when you're looking at box scores. The box scores are not going to tell you anything. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not going to say anything, but but you're going to have to dig deep to see really what chance is going to be able to do. Yeah. Because it's not about if he hits 310 or if he hits 285 or if he hits 267. Cisco's got an outstanding line drive swing. His power increased even in his time with the Bay Sox last year. Norfolk is not a ballpark for home run hitters at all. So he's not going to put up any home run hitting numbers. But the reality, the big, the question with Cisco is simple. Can he be 
an everyday big league catcher because yeah. he's not that defensively now, but he's definitely improving. And uh, I think that's the big question. Is his offense good enough to be an everyday first baseman or everyday something or something? Yeah, but so you look like um, you look now, and Baseball America has Cisco rated fifty seventh overall, but MILB.com barely even has him in the top one twenty. Yeah, I saw that. What? And the reason for that is because you know if Cisco is a catcher. And he's hitting the way that he most likely will as a big leaguer, which if there's a comp, even though he's by no means a comp defensively, he might be like a Nick Markakis type hitter. Then uh, you're looking at a guy that, uh, you know, he's going to hit a ton of doubles. He's a line drive hitter. He's going to hit for average. He's going to walk a ton. I mean, last year at the age of 21, he led the Eastern League in on-base percentage. And the Eastern League had a lot of great talents last year. But but, It doesn't uh, doesn't sound like Orioles minor league coaching. That's usually not our approach to developing players. (laughs) We like to go ahead and swing away. But, all right, all right, Chance. But but that's his game. And and that's also enticing for the Orioles because, once again, it's something the Orioles don't have a lot of. You know, yeah, we'd love to see in the lineup, but we also we know how much Buck values that that defensive side of of catching, and uh, that 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 is I think we've all been talking about this summer. It could be lined up to give him a let him try out in June, July, on the major league team. Um, yeah, I thought it'd be really but, interesting to see what would happen if we didn't sign Castillo. Yeah, if, right, uh, exactly. But with the Castillo signing and Joseph as, as we, backup, we now have more time. It's, it's pretty set. Yeah, there. To be set. honest, I, I really feel I'd be surprised if the Orioles go that way. Um, I, I think that if the Orioles were more in a position like the San Diego Padres are now, maybe they might think about it. Yeah. Uh, but the Orioles are in win now mode, and Cisco uh, to say that I don't think he's ready to be a big league catcher is not really putting him down once again he's 22 years old this year and you number one you want him to play you're not going to bring a guy like cisco up to to sit the bench right you know to be the backup to anybody number one and number two uh you know cisco if you look at the Bay Sox numbers last year Cisco was not one of the better defensive catchers in the Eastern League. But with that being said, uh, scouts are really torn on this. I, I had a scout tell me that uh, that he thinks Cisco is much further along than, let's say, a guy like Brian McCann was when he was at the AA level as a defensive catcher. But there's still a lot of growth to go. So I think Cisco yeah. is a guy that's going to probably play the entire 2017 season in the minor leagues. And really, if you think about Chance becoming an everyday big league catcher, uh, you're probably looking at 2019, if, if I had to guess. Oh, really? Yeah, that's interesting. And at the same time, and I agree with you, uh, but part of me thinks about how they brought up Manny Machado before everybody said they would. I think similar with, with Jonathan Scope. Dylan Bundy, if you think back to the 1980s when he first came up, uh, <laughs> uh, they brought him up really young. So they do have a habit of bringing these players up. They do, but I, I think there is the difference in that, even though Cisco has actually put up better offensive numbers uh, when you look at, at everything at his age than, let's say, a Jonathan Scope did in the minor league. Scope's the exact opposite type of hitter. Yeah. But uh, Scope was an outstanding defensive second baseman. I mean, he, uh, I remember Rocco came up to me in Frederick, scope so big. And, uh, you know, he, he said, so scope, he's not going to stick at second base, is he? And I said, well, you know, just, just watch him play tonight. This guy, watch him turn a double play. (laughs) There's nobody better at it. 
And, and when Rock watched that first first time he watched Jonathan play in a game in Frederick, he was smiling and said, "Boy, yeah. you're right." You know, so yeah. so that that's what they've got to get. So by by no means can Cisco not become uh, you, what would be a decent big league catcher. That uh, that's going to be a well above average offensive big league catcher. Yeah. But uh, but I just don't think the Orioles are going to put him in a spot where he might be overwhelmed at this time in on the defensive side. And yeah. I think I think. That was a previous time where the big league team was desperate. Right. We had no pitchers. So, Dylan Bundy, let's see what you can do. Yeah. We had a second baseman playing with a concussion. We, we, then we had no second baseman. Then we had Ryan Flaherty for second baseman. We needed a second baseman. Yeah. Let's see what Scope can do. Shouldn't have got rid of Jerry Harrison. Um, yeah, I and I agree with you. And, and the defensive is a really important point because – Often, young players will struggle offensively right when they come to the majors. But if you're really good de- defensively, that kind of counteracts that struggle offensively. So as long as you're providing really good defense, everything you do in offense is kind of bonus. Right. But if you don't have that really good defense. Yeah, and I just I, I would just say for Orioles fans, obviously, if you're listening, you're an Orioles fan, you know, you, you play these scenarios out in your mind. And let's say Wellington Castillo gets injured in June and he's out yeah. for six weeks. And Caleb Joseph is struggling offensively. The Orioles go out and make a trade uh, for a, a catcher in the Michael Bourne at the end of his career mode right. that's going to play and split. And you're like, why don't we just bring up Cisco? It right. doesn't mean that the Orioles are down on Cisco. Yeah. He's just a guy. Even if he, he might be hitting 310 in yeah. Norfolk, he could be hit. He could be leading the International League in on base percentage, hitting 310 with a 415 on base percentage. He he needs to catch. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I hear that absolutely. And, but I think if, like, the Orioles are, I think Buck's pretty proactive, which he'll put the best player to help his team the most in that Correct. spot. Correct. Correct. Um, so if they don't, it'll be saying, okay, we don't think he's the best player to help our team now because he's not quite ready. And, and Cisco, when he came from Frederick to Bowie, it was for the last month of the 2015 season. And the Bay Sox, along with Redding, the Phillies affiliate, were the, easily the two top teams in the Eastern League that year. And there was a feeling of, boy, you know, we're putting this defensive liability in a way as the catcher. And this is a team, uh, obviously, that's on a run and could win the championship. And uh, Cisco learned a lot uh, working with some veteran pitchers that are no longer in the organization, like Terry Doyle and Eli Villanueva. You got to yeah. be a big Oriole fan to know those names. <laughs> and and uh, but but yeah, Nick Adderton is another name that really taught him. Okay, how do we work these hitters? How do we do that? The mental side of the game. He really grew a lot in that last month, and he was the man behind the plate when the Bay Sox won the 2015 championship. It's not like the Bay Sox fell apart uh, right. when when Cisco became their everyday catcher. So, so he's yeah. capable. He's capable. All right. Well, you 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 mentioned before, and I think it's it's accurate. Again, we're joined by Adam Pohl, broadcaster for the Bowie Bay Sox. You mentioned before about how. And I think you're right. The Orioles minor league system has been a little bit underrated because if you look at the guys that are now playing in the majors and also when we look at the Zach Davies, the Rodriguez, the Josh Haters, some of the guys we've traded who have gone on to to, to do well and have success. um, Currently, right now, Mm -hmm. uh, only one guy in the top 120 in San Francisco. No one outside, outside of that. Do you think that's an accurate... And so people, us, the Angels, like we're one of the worst minor league systems out there according to most people do you agree with that is is it as bad as it seems from the outside 
Well, I think that uh, the Orioles have a little bit of a lull. When you look at these prospect rankings, to be honest, it's mostly just judging uh, the top half of the system uh, because uh, what you're looking at is almost a ranking of, of double, triple, like guys that are ready to make an impact right now. Uh, the best teams, minor league organizations, are not going to be the ones where you just got this great 16-year-old from the Dominican, and in eight years you think he's going to be a monster. It's all about guys that are ready to, to take the step and really uh, affect the big league roster almost immediately. And uh, for the Orioles, obviously they don't have a wave of guys that are ready to do that right, right. now. I do think Trey Mancini is extremely underrated uh, by prospect, uh, you know, um, uh, different booklets and things like that. Right. He's a guy that some people are really high on, some people are really low on, and I'm I'm very high on uh, Mancini as far as a guy that can have a 10, 15-year major league, well, more like 10-year major league career. And, uh, but... Um, as a starter, I, I think Mancini oh, really? is going to be an outstanding or so? a, a really solid everyday major league player. But where 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 do you see him? I mean, how do we we can't put him at first base? We've got first base locked up for many years, right? Uh, there's rumors of him practicing the outfield. I haven't seen anything down in Sarasota right now of him <laughs> playing the outfield. I know he was down there working on the outfield before Buck got down there, um, but how do you, how do you fit him onto this organization? It's a it's a great question. I mean, you'd rather that Mancini played a different position and, and carried the bat that he does, but but uh, his bat is going to play. I mean, he, the tough thing is that he's viewed upon di- in different ways. I almost feel like if if the Orioles traded Trey, they wouldn't get the value that they need to get for him. So um, yeah, that puts you in a tough spot. Yeah, so uh, I don't know. I I know that last year they were dead set against Mancini starting to play in the outfield. That's something I, I was asking people last year uh, because you could see the writing on the wall of where you know he could become an everyday player. Yeah, and do you know why that is? Like why they would convert Christian Walker, have him play the outfield, but it was never even entertained with Trey Mancini. Do do we know why that is? Is it an arm issue? Is it a Trey is issue? bigger and more gangly a little bit, so it might it might be that aspect that yeah. the yeah, body but... body type and such. Uh, and obviously, we talked about how important defense is to the Orioles. You know, they're 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 not kind of the Oakland A's of the Moneyball era where they're just going to say, okay, well, you were our catcher and now you're going to play this position. You know, the Orioles are more reluctant in doing that. So. I don't know. Obviously, uh, Mancini is is a major asset to the organization. If either Trumbo or Chris Davis got injured, yeah. you know they would have a, a fill in right away. Uh, but uh, if I had to guess, uh, I would assume Trey's going to start um, as uh, Norfolk's everyday first baseman. But uh, but uh, he is ready to be a big league player in my estimation. Yeah, and I th- that sounds like a pretty good problem to have, though, right? Especially when you get an aging guy like Mark Trumbo, Chris Davis, who had the thumb issue last year, or whatever. Um, right. Or was it, yeah, the thumb yeah, issue. And he's also had issue. some ad- abdomen issues as well. Yep. So it seems like that's a really good thing to have. Yeah. As uh, a guy who can come in right away and be ready to to, 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 to fill that role. But but going a little bit broader, more, uh, you know, uh, looking at uh, the forest, the, not the trees, per right, se, the quality of about the, the Orioles system. organization, yeah. they have been, it's really fun to say this, be, being an Orioles fan, you know, for my entire life, for so long the Orioles were in cell mode where yep. they were trying to pick up players and obviously uh, McPhail bringing in guys like Tillman and, and Jones, right. you know, it was really turned the organization right. around. The one but, thing good Eric Bedard did for us. Yeah. Yeah. But what you're talking about, the minor leagues, it takes so long for these players to develop and uh, the Orioles 
have been in buy mode for five straight years and they do not spend much money in the international market. So when you look at a team with the Bay Sox, they usually have far few Latin players than, uh, than other teams they play. They just don't spend that kind of money. They would argue that they still invest what they need to invest or that they're not going to spend that much money because it's such an unpredictable market because you're talking about buying players that are literally 16 years old. Right. They got a guy like Jonathan Scope that they paid almost nothing for, yeah. uh, where they could have paid $2 million for a guy and it didn't work out. But um, yeah. but but when you look at the overall depth of the organization, uh, they've been drafting from a lower position for a while now. Yep. Uh, they've been trading away these pieces that over time accumulate. I mean, right. w- what you're looking at now is, well, the Orioles are near the bottom, but you're talking about guys like Stephen Brault, who's been in the major leagues with the Pirates that they traded. Uh, they traded away. Uh, Hader was yeah. a big one. Even though, but Norris gave the Orioles a, yeah. a big season. And, it's and not Josh like, Hader at the time was what, like 19? Like he, he was, was in Delmarva. Yeah, he was yeah. a young kid. So you didn't know exactly what you had with him. Exactly. So uh, so all these guys that, that are just those names that you never heard of, for instance, you know, look at the Bay Sox this year. Uh, our catcher would have been Jonah Hine. And they traded him for a few months of Steve yeah, Pierce. Yeah. So now the now Bay Sox will have a different catcher. Right. So this uh, this Murphy affects perhaps, yeah, yeah I, you know this is this is uh, how it uh, how it affects things over the long term. Where if the Orioles over the last four or five years were trading for extra players, it would be it would be far yeah. different. Now, should I be concerned that when I look at the the top ten list of 2017 prospects for the Orioles, uh, a bunch of that list are guys that we just drafted this year. So they're guys that. They're saying that guys that we just drafted who aren't going to make an impact for like four Cody or Sedlock five years. is number two. Sedlock's number two. Mountcastle's number, what's that, four? Aiken's number six. Those are 2016 draft guys. Mountcastle was 2015. Yeah, but, was but still, uh, but your, your point is correct. I think he was a high schooler, too, wasn't he? I think he was, yeah, out he was out of a high school. schooler. So, yeah. Well, this is the, this is the positive uh, with, with this whole aspect is that um, one of the things that I really pay a lot of attention to is Baseball America's end-of-year uh, top 20 league lists, the okay. top 20 players in the league. I was really surprised Trey Mancini was not rated as one of the top 20 prospects in the International League. The biggest prospect league is AA. Right. So the hardest list to break onto is going to be the Eastern League list. Cisco was on that list. He was near the bottom of the top 20, right. but he was on that list. Uh, with that being said, Frederick did not have a player on the list. And Delmarva, Mountcastle, uh, was not on, on that list either, which I was a, a bit surprised about. Right. But incredibly, Aberdeen had four of the top 20 players really? in the New York Penn League. And that really stands out to me. Uh, I think that uh, it's showing that the Orioles, obviously pitchers are less dependable, guys can break down, uh, but the, the four players were Sedlock, the Orioles' first-round pick of last year, Aiken, their second round pick. Hayes, their third round pick. Mm-hmm. They had the first round supplemental, Matthias Dietz, right. uh, who was not on that. And then uh, an Australian pitcher right at the bottom named Alex Wells, uh, who's who pitched extremely well with Aberdeen. Showed a great feel for pitching, but doesn't have a, a big arm. But he's so young that right. they feel like he's a guy that in two or three years, maybe instead of throwing 89, he's throwing 92. And, and he could be another Zach Davies type of guy. So, so w- when you're looking at it, 
one of the big things to notice, it, it, it's more about if they were high school or collegiate right. picks. So um, it's already been uh, been reported that Sedlock, Aiken, and Hayes are going to start the year in Frederick. They're really not as far away as you think okay. they are. So there, there's a chance of this second window where we keep talking about the window is getting smaller in, in major. Here's some guys who could extend that window. Yeah, because you're going to see that to start this year, Frederick, if you if you want to follow a team, of course, I'm the broadcaster of the Bowie Bay Sox, so maybe I shouldn't be saying this. <laughs> right. But if you're wanting to follow a team to start the year, Frederick is is going to be that team. I mean, the Keys probably have the majority of the Orioles' top prospects yeah. uh, on that team. But but in the minor leagues, when you get to Double A, you're a call away. Right, a- yeah, and yeah. Uh, it, all the time. It, it's really the truth, and it's all about making it to Double A. And then proving it. Double A is the prove it league. The biggest jump in the minors, of course, the biggest jump is to the major leagues. Yeah. But but the biggest jump within the minors is from high A to double A. And you're looking at Frederick having a rotation of Sedlock, Aiken, Brian Gonzalez, Ofelki Peralta, uh, Christian Alvarado. Who, these are guys that uh, Peralta that didn't have big success in Delmarva, but he's got a big arm. And uh, and Alvarado and Gonzalez did have big success in Delmarva. And then you've got the other two big prospects that are coming up. That's a great rotation yeah. for Frederick, and probably the best rotation the Keys have had huh. in in years. And uh, and then. And, and then on the other end, Mountcastle's a big prospect. Right. People are interested in the outfielder uh, Mullins. There's a guy named Gassaway that's interesting. Joe Marais had a bad year last year, but but he was a top five yeah. pick last year, so I want, he's back. I mean, the Keys are, are are going to be a very interesting team. I think Alex Murphy that you mentioned before yeah. is probably going to be the Keys starting catcher. It's going to be really interesting to follow them. Yeah, there's there's two guys, and we're going to get some 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 major league stuff here in a minute. But there's two guys who I've kind of taken interest in. One of them you just mentioned, Joe Reyes, who was a he was an international signing, right? Yeah. Um, I think he was signed when he was like twelve, uh, <laughs> at a real young age. And it, uh, I've heard a lot of things about his power potential. Um, very intriguing. He even he got on the top ten what last year at, at a really what it. And he's a young one of those talk about a young player, still a really young young young, young player. Um, do you see potential there? I know his stock have, has fallen a little bit because of the bad year, mm-hmm. but is he, is he still a guy that you could potentially see as a really good major leaguer? So I, I do want to quantify this, that um, for me, especially when I were, I was the broadcaster for the Keys for seven years, so I would see players earlier in the process than I do now. Yeah. Like, I've watched Trey Mancini play probably 100 baseball games. Yeah, I've bet. watched Chance Cisco play over 100 games, so I feel very comfortable with them. Right. I've never watched okay. or even seen Jomar Reyes. Okay. So I, I'm almost in, in your boat. But I've talked to people, of course, within the organization. I think he's just very young. Uh, and Still really raw. In this very thing. raw. And, yeah. and a lot of times that's not just on the field, but off the field as well. You've got to hmm. – uh, when you come up to a new country – you you have to embrace the atmosphere and 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 be a professional. I mean, it's really really tricky. And yeah. he is extremely young. He was 19 in the high A Carolina League. Once again, the average age for a Carolina League player is always right between 22 and 23. Right. So the fact that last year he failed is not the end of the world. This is a huge year for him because is he going to come back focused? Is he going to be ready to go? Uh, and and basically take take the bull by the horns yeah, per se. Yeah. Um, because it's hard. Last year for Reyes was the first time 
almost certainly my guess that he ever failed in yeah. his life at the game of baseball. Yeah. You, you mentioned yeah. that. And that's... it's hard to deal with that. Some guys right. can't yeah. get over that hump. But if he gets over that hump, it might be the only hump he's got to get, and he might just rock it so, up. Yeah, and so you he's might... got that floor, but a high ceiling. Right. With and the, you, with mentioned the that, you mentioned that transition to another country. We, we watched that last season with Hansu Kim. Yes. And he had all the luxuries of being a major league player. <laughs> I can't imagine doing that same transition at the minor league level. Yeah. Where you're staying at random people's home, you're you're living on a bus, yeah. right? And we it, talked to Alex Murphy, and we talked to the minor, minor leaguers about just that whole lifestyle of you're with a bunch of other guys, right? Twenty, twenty one, twenty two, you know, cause, and we right. all know what we were like at twenty one, twenty two, and now you're asked to play this this game every night too. Just a lot going on there. Yeah. I got to tell you a funny Hansu Kim story. So, uh, Kim last year, of course, um, the huge story this time of year when the Orioles did not win a game for what was it two weeks, right? And uh, he right? didn't get a hit. He didn't get a hit, and everyone was like, "Oh my yeah. goodness!" And, the, the we all we yeah. all were like that, right? Yeah. And, and uh, so they wanted to start Kim in Norfolk, and he he did not want to do that. Right. Yeah, a lot of drama there. Yeah, I don't even think there's a minor leagues in Korea. I might be wrong, but I think there's a feeling that Kim did not like. I came here to play for the Orioles, right? And now. I'm not going to play for the Orioles. Like, like I don't un- like I don't understand issue. that. You right. know. Yeah. So uh, Kim, I don't remember his injury or anything like that. But Kim came to Bowie for a rehab game, and most of the time when players come to rehab, they're pretty easygoing. They're trying to get their work in. They're very loose. Yeah. Uh, and Kim was the opposite. I mean, when he came to Bowie, he was tense. He was fired up. Huh. And I, I really think I, that Kim was worried, even though the always said, look, you're going to go to Bowie, you're going to play one game, right. and then you're going to come back, that he's like, if I go down there, if I go over three, what if they don't yeah. bring me back? Yeah. Which is not going to be the case at all, because he was on a rehab assignment. He wasn't. Right? Yeah, but I believe all he, the free training drama. Like, but who yeah. knows, does he know, you know, yeah, does yeah. he get, uh, there's so many nuances to this. So, of course, here's, here's his game. It's a Sunday afternoon, and Kim, who never faces lefties, is going up against a left-handed <laughs> pitching knuckleballer. Son of a uh, knuckleballer. Oh, he went 0 for 3, two hilarious. strikeouts, and a ground ball back to the pitcher. And when he hit the ground ball back to the pitcher, he dropped his head and really threw his bat down. He was really frustrated. He stayed the next night, first at bat, crushed a home run <laughs> off of just a regular, straightforward, 90-mile-an-hour right. right-handed pitcher. He launched a bomb, and he knew, okay, I'm going back to Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> My job is safe. That's a great story. Uh, the the last guy I want to ask you about. This is, I think, someone that's been intriguing to a lot of Oriole fans because it's not every day you see a left-handed pitcher or any pitcher at all oh, that yeah. can throw over 100 miles per hour. <laughs> yes, I'm not talking about Tanner Scott. Oh, Tanner Scott. Yeah. Yes, Tanner yeah. Scott so, is. He's. If, that's the, I mean, he can consistently throw over. He said over 100 multiple times. Yes, right? his first pitch with the Bowie Bay Sox was 101 miles an hour. Yeah. last year yeah. which is and he's left-handed it's remarkable it's it's actually and this is not to discredit i couldn't believe it i, I saw a story this year from baseball america i believe i don't actually not 100 percent certain on that that 41 guys threw a pitch of 100 miles an hour or more in the minor leagues oh, last that year many? isn't that unbelievable i yeah. couldn't believe that number but i'm telling you there's not too many lefties yeah. That sit. I mean, when he takes something off it, it's ninety six. It, it's right. it's absurd. He's he, got an incredible arm. He screams closer, right? But, but the Orioles right now, right, are planning on having him be a starter. 
Or at least in the minors, isn't he? Isn't he? Or is no, he, 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 the pen? he's coming out of the pen. Okay. Yeah, uh, with Bowie though, has what was ever, has he started at all? Is he always been? You out know of the what? Pen? I, I know where, uh, he started in the Arizona Fall League, okay. which is a spot where you're almost pitching every game like it's an All Star game. Okay, right. You've got more than a regular number of pitchers, and the starter will go two or three innings, and then the relievers throw one inning. But uh, Scott, this is going to be a big year for him because um, I think that. Um, He's exciting because of that velocity, but really the the relievers and it, it's funny how this works. But but the relievers with the Orioles having so much depth in their bullpen already that I mm-hmm. think could make an impact very soon with the Orioles are Jesus Lorenzo and and Jimmy Acabonis because those are guys that can consistently spot their fastball. They're throwing their fastball 94 to 96 miles an hour. Yakabonis probably has the best fastball command, but Lorenzo has got a great breaking ball. So Lorenzo, who just came out of nowhere last year uh, to join, you know, to come up, the Orioles actually paid for him to have a surgery on his elbow, and he just took off huh. after rehab, he is, is a big-time guy. Scott is a guy that, we have to see more of. He has to have what happened to Michael Gibbons. The majority of players never find it, but for Scott, I mean, he's completely erratic uh, with that fastball. Yeah. There are times that he can have great success, um, but half the times, you know, that he went out in Double A, he struggled mightily. Uh, it, you know, it, just an inability to throw a strike, right. and, and he became kind of just the mop-up guy for the Bay Sox at yeah. the end of the year. Like when you're throwing 100 miles per hour, you should dominate, right? Yes, uh, right. if you can locate it though. And I've also heard there's been some issues with his secondary pitch, the slider too. Correct, to make right? There. But the biggest thing for Scott is that you have to realize that Michael Givens, Scott has not really thrown that much either. Michael Givens was a guy that uh, in 2014 with a base sock struggled, and manager Kerry Kendall. I mean, he knew he had to throw Givens because Givens was a prospect, but he right. didn't want to put Givens into a close game because really, Givens huh? was either good or he was terrible. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I always ask the pitching coach, is there a guy that's taken a big step in the offseason? I remember the first time I asked a guy that, uh, the Frederick Keys number 5 starter who had almost a 6 ERA the next year, uh, Blaine Beatty, the pitching coach said, hey, Brad Bergeson is throwing the ball great right now. And you would have, I would have been shocked to, to think that Brad Bergeson would ever pitch in the major leagues. Yeah. And, and boom, I mean, it was like he went from Frederick to Bowie. He was the Eastern League right. pitcher of the year. Next year was in the major leagues. Givens came in 2015. Alan Mills told me, he said, Adam, watch out for Givens. And it didn't take more than, it was really his first outing where it's like, whoa, because the stuff is there, and that's the thing. You yeah. can't teach right. what Scott has. And uh, the question is, can he harness it? Yeah, every, 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 fun to watch. every time we talk to someone, every time we talk to uh, any, uh, any player any, or anyone in the know, they always point to Alan Mills for changing the way this pitching yeah. staff Whether is developing. Jason Garcia. Jason Garcia, Alex Murphy, Alex Murphy but, but, Jonah Heim. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone loves Alan Chris Mills. Chris Davis probably even mentioned Alan Mills. <laughs> everyone mentions Alan Mills. Now he's up in the big leagues helping the team directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how much of an impact did you watch and see him make in Bowie? I was with Alan for two years, and uh, I tried not to geek out too much, obviously, because, of course, he was one of uh, the Orioles that I grew up rooting right. for. Yeah, yeah. Right? Absolutely. And, uh, and Alan is – he's just – 
such an interesting person. He's the kind of guy that always keeps you a little bit off balance. He's always working for a teachable moment, and he's always keeping it light and fun. But the number one thing I like about Alan, and this is going to sound silly, but Alan Mills is all about winning. And he's all about winning every single day. And that's, to me, so important in baseball because... There's such a grind at every level of the game, and uh, whether it's in the minor leagues where guys sometimes feel a little uh, like, oh, God, you know, I'm putting in all this, I'm not making any money, and I don't feel like I'm going anywhere, to the major leagues where my guess would be that the guys have all the money, uh, uh, you know, in the world, and it's like, I've got the greatest life ever. This three-game losing streak ain't that bad when I get my paycheck, right? Right. Yeah, there's there's (laughs) no worries. He's still there. Alan Mills is all about winning, and um, and everything that he does is uh, fosters the atmosphere of keeping guys loose, keeping guys uh, ready to go. And and to me, I've never been around a pitching coach uh, that has been so great at the mental aspect of it, and that's why I love his position as a bullpen coach. Obviously, he's that's what he was in the right. major leagues. He was always a reliever, and uh, but. Uh, I think a big part of a bullpen coach is is basically keeping guys ready to go, keeping yeah. them loose, keeping them but loose but focused, having fun, but keeping the right uh, right attitude. And, 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 and that's and, what we always hear about pitchers: is he's got the stuff mentally, he's got to focus. Uh, Jake Arrieta, after being good for the Cubs, talked about the mental aspect and him not being focused in Baltimore. Yeah, Arietta. I think we talked a little bit earlier with Jomar Reyes about hitting a wall. Right. And I think the tough thing for Arietta was that he hit the wall in the major leagues. And and it took him some time to get over that wall. If he would have failed a little bit earlier in his career, I think by the time he got to Baltimore, he would have been ready to go. Yeah. He was one of the most, uh, I don't know if, uh, cocky is, sounds like a bad word, but I've never seen a more confident baseball player than when Jake Arrieta was on my team. When he was on the Frederick Keys, he felt that he should be pitching at that second for the Baltimore Orioles. And I was sitting there going, you were a fifth-round draft choice. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and you're pitching in Frederick. You know, I know you're good, but this is unbelievable. But the other thing about Arrieta was that Arrieta was one of the only players that I've ever seen where the strength and conditioning coach who quite often is tailoring a regiment for players and staying on them to make sure that they're putting in the work and doing the right things. Cause you can do too much, but mm-hmm. most players try to take it easy, you know? Yeah. And, uh, Jake Arietta, the Orioles were completely constantly telling him you need to settle down. He was working oh, out yeah. so hard. Yeah. He was an animal in the regards of wanting to get to the big leagues. Right, yeah. Yeah, he, he was on. not cool. Yeah. You know, being a Frederick Key in his first full season to him was ridiculous. I mean, he, he, he <laughs> <laughs> you know, even though m- most people would have thought he should have started in Delmarva, most fifth round picks yeah. right. out of college are not going to start in Frederick. So yeah. very interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting. And you're right. That question of how do you deal with fa- with failure, and how long does it take you to get past that, and can you get past that? Well, certainly he has. The, all right, I want to get to some. Can we get to some Orioles? But, some but let's get stuff. to some big sure. league notes. Yeah, this is this is why the the minor leagues only exist for the big league boys. <laughs> exactly. Right? So, couple injuries, big deal, little deal, no deal here. All right, who are you uh, going with first? Let's start with Chris Tillman. Shoulder issue. I guess this goes all the way back to last year. 
Yeah. I, I love, I, I love got, when I hear about injuries that happened last year. I just right. hear about the now. Chris I, Davis thumb that was a huge deal. I didn't know it was a big deal. Apparently, it was right. Uh, and that's Chris my Tillman thought. Shoulder. And that's my thought with Chris Tillman is they're trying to play it like it's no big deal. Yeah. I've got major concerns. He's just gonna. Yeah, he'll still, he got, they'll still make. He got the, a uh, shoulder injection in December. Yeah. No one felt like they could say this at FanFest. Well, you're not gonna. No one said they could. Not gonna say kill this the mood at FanFest. <laughs> they're handing out Christmas presents. No one mentions they got a shoulder injection two days ago. I'm very concerned, but apparently the Orioles aren't because if I was the Orioles and I was concerned about that but didn't want to tell people I was concerned about that, I would have signed another pitcher before making the announcement. Well, they didn't really more than do that, that more than until that, they, now. More, more than that, they, they, they traded someone away after exactly, they Exactly, exactly. They traded Giovanni <laughs> away. Right. So maybe they're not concerned. Uh, I don't know. Are you guys concerned about this Chris Tillman injury? I mean, anytime you hear a pitcher shoulder, <laughs> right? Right. When you when you look at at how do the Orioles win and win big this year, I think the the theory is that Tillman has a big year going into his free agent season, and then Gosman and Bundy each take a big step, where Gosman almost becomes like another Tillman, and and that's your way of of winning. That you've got the big one, two, three, and we're okay with Miley Jimenez because they're four and five starters, and they should be four and five starters. But now, if they move up to three and four starters. And we have to bring in a new fifth starter. You take a, well, a quite a jump, a jump and that's down what we did. from Tillman to we signed this else. guy uh, this week, uh, Vita Nuno. Nuno. Yeah, yeah. Who's yeah. basically you look at all the numbers, it's Vance Worley 2.0. Right, and you've it's got Gabrielle Noah that uh, that they signed as well. It, so the Orioles are stockpiling a little bit, but but they're they're not stockpiling guys, of course, that are ten million dollar a year pitchers. Right. I, I think that uh, if you put a little bit of a uh, carrot on the top, or cherry on the top of this, uh, in, in this regard, as far as looking at the glass half full, there's a chance that if Tillman is injured and can only pitch half the year, uh, that, uh, that it could make him much easier to re-sign. Wow. And, uh, and that could be big for the Orioles yeah, sure, because there's such sure. a worry about what the Orioles are going to be in 2018, 2019. Yeah. Um, but that would, that would make that, it really hard 2017 to be successful. Right. right? And that, that's without saying, Chris Tillman. Yeah. And that's all. Yeah. You might as well say, well, if he gets Tommy John surgery, he might come back stronger. I mean, we, we got a pretty small window. Like we said, that we're, we, we really want to win this year. Yeah. 2017. I'd like to see Tillman get yeah. 20 wins. Yeah. Cause yeah, we're going to have some tough decisions to make. So the other injury, um, is, is the JJ Hardy back spasms. This is not the first time that this has happened. Uh, no, but when it we happened could, before, how concerned are we it about was this? a big issue. When it happened before, he missed a lot of games. Yeah. With Flaherty, and there was a huge deal put on last year, him coming back, being healthy, him being healthy the whole season. But if it happens now, maybe he has time to recover in spring training, and, and so he misses, yeah, maybe but, he misses, or maybe he's able to come back on time, or, or just miss a couple weeks, but better now than in the middle of the season, right? I think they had some x-rays. They came back positive about the x-rays. So I'm not... You mean negative? Yeah, the x-rays came back negative. The people Which is positive. Were, the people <laughs> were positive, yes. Yes. Um, so I'm not too concerned. But there's always that little asterisk of, but maybe because Hardy's old. No, yeah. uh, he's, I mean, whatever. He's 35 or 36, but that's considered old for a baseball player. Um, there is the interesting aspect of Manny Machado really wants to play shortstop. So there's an interesting thing there with if Hardy goes down, do you move him to to shortstop? And then it's questions like, can Chris Davis, Trey Mancini play third base? Things get a little interesting. If you, uh, if that old uh, no and no, hurt. but okay. We, I mean, Davis has played some 
some third base. Yeah, and we talked about how Chris Davis was a better right fielder than Mark Tremble to so put Chris yes, Davis at right, but, but they but won't do it. They, they won't do it. Chris I Davis first baseman. I don't know. I think I think you get interested if something happens like that because Machado may, is making it clear he wants to play shortstop. He's, right. He's right now. He is play, as soon as Hardy goes down. He slides over and starts playing shortstop in Sarasota. And and where is the situation where you have a great shortstop in JJ Hardy? He gets hurt and you have an even better shortstop <laughs> right, in right. That never happens. No, but what happens here? Right, and it makes you wonder. Yeah, if at some point there's a hey Hardy, try out third base. Not Isn't it funny good. too that usually you you started short because, and then as your career continues, right, you're going to move off of it. But where right. Manny might be the opposite. But um, the, it is a luxury. I, there's there's a big feeling that why would you ever move Machado off of third base because he's such an incredible third baseman, but. I, I don't think you do. I don't think you ever move him except for the fact that for some reason his ego is at the point that he still sees himself as a shortstop and he wants shortstop. Oh, stop. Adam Jones still sees himself as a shortstop, but he doesn't play shortstop. He becomes a shortstop because that's a more important position on the baseball diamond, I think, right? And so you want your best player there. You see a lot of elite players um, playing shortstop. Why? Because it's a really important position uh, on on a a baseball diamond. Sure. I I don't know. Uh, I mean, JJ Hardy had a had a good year last year, right? Is that mm-hmm. yeah? Is that last accurate? year he had a very he had a good year. Uh, batted two sixty nine, uh, much better than, than the prior year. Played one hundred fifteen games. I think this is a JJ Hardy you're going to get right. He's going to play in one hundred fifteen games. Uh, one hundred fifteen, yeah, maybe one hundred twenty five. That's the max you'll get from him. That's, yeah, that's why Ryan Flaherty's on the team. Yeah, right. there you go. And you can slide him over, and you can play someone like Ryan Flaherty at third base. Interesting that the Orioles did pick up a few guys uh, that have a lot of major league experience here very recently right. that are probably going to be in the minor leagues. Johnny Giavatella, yeah. uh, you know, has been uh, kind of bounced around, but he's mostly been in the big leagues the last yeah, with the Angels, three or yeah. four years. And then, uh, of course, they've they've got uh, Antino. They got Antino, Antino and then uh, they also got uh, Ron Johnson's son, Chris Johnson. Yeah. Um, can I read? Speaking of of, of uh, Andino, did you guys see his quotes? I just the quotes are great. Quotes are great. <laughs> this yeah. is a guy that wants He's, to get on the field. Unfortunately, he is better talking to the media than playing baseball. <laughs> um, he said, "Here's a couple quotes from him." Um, I told Buck to put me everywhere. Put me in the outfield. I'm going to see if I can steal somebody's first baseman's mitt somewhere. Just whatever I got to do try, to try to play in October. That's what it's all about. Whatever I got to do to help the team win, I'm here. You know what it is? Because he left. He got cut or whatever or, or sent away, not re-signed, and he saw Ryan Flaherty still sticking around. And he said, how can I get that job? Another quote, and this is he used to do. You know, they always did that where they have different people review. And Dino at the movies. And Dino at the movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he said about, do you see his quote about doing Andino at the movies this no. year? He said, I ain't focused on no movies this year. I'm focused on catching the ball. Ain't going to see no Andino at the movies. If they ask me, I'm focusing on catching the ball, putting a bunt down or something. So he's not know. doing Andino at the movies yeah, this and, year. Andino's going to be spending some time in, in Bowie. He might want to go down to that Hoyt's. I'm not. I'm. I'm not going to tell Dino that. Shoot, I'm not going to tell him he's going. (laughs) I don't want to be the guy to tell him he's going to Bowie. Make a left out of the stadium, right at the second light. There's a theater right there. You can watch movies when you're not playing. (laughs) Uh, The the Orioles did add uh, Vidal Nuno. Is that right, Nuno or Nuno? I bet it's Nuno. Nuno. Yeah, I think there's a. Is there a mark over that? I don't know. uh, Well, it's funny because uh, uh, who we got, uh, Gabrielle Noah. 
uh, from the Mets. He was a pitcher for, uh, in the Eastern League, so I've seen him pitch a few times. And that when when the Orioles traded for him, they said that his name was Gabriel Yanoya. Or Yanoa. Yeah, Yanoa. You know, and Yanoa, I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, we call him <laughs> Enoa, but that happens all the time, uh, you know, as far as guys uh, and, and having their names a little bit right. wrong in the mind. And, how, and how, how does that work from, from your perspective? Like when you see a guy with a name, you're like, oh, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Do you have someone you talk to? Do you talk to the manager or someone, or do you have to go right to that player and say, hey? Oh, you definitely do not talk to the manager because they have no idea how to say the player's names. <laughs> right, <laughs> but, but, but I learned a bad lesson um, because uh, when if you go up to a player, especially a young Latin player, and say, hey, how do you, is this how you say your name? Right. They'll always say yes. Oh, okay. You know, because they are—they don't want to offend they, you. They just want to please, yeah. Right. But the reality is uh, that uh, that what I do is I just go up and I say, hey, can you say your name to me? Right. So uh, here's an example. Everybody calls him Dariel Alvarez. Right. Well, I know for sure because I've asked him multiple times that his name is Dariel Alvarez. Okay. Dar, Dariel, like Dariel. car. But even when he made the major leagues, huh. they're calling him Dariel. Dariel. yeah. Because all the Orioles minor league staff, all the coaches and everyone call him Dariel. You know, but his name is not Dariel. It's Dariel. Breaking news. No, <laughs> no, exactly. But, but that really leads to the question. Why did no one correct scope and just tell him you're spelling it scoop? <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, a funny story, though, about that is uh, I got to call the first uh, game in the first pro season of uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. And uh, when when he, uh, he he's from Richmond, so Salem was playing. He was with the Salem Red Sox. They were playing in Frederick. And in Frederick, the press box for the where the PA announcer is completely closed. So my windows are open. And uh, and basically, his parents were at the game. And he was in the media guide. Nobody asked. He was listed as Jack Bradley. Uh-huh. So he came up to bat for a first time. And our PA announcer said, now batting. First batter of the whole year that year at Harry Grove Stadium on opening night was Jack Bradley. Yeah. They announced him as Jack Bradley. His dad was fired up. <laughs> so his dad comes running up to the press box. This is the he first really inning. Oh my first goodness. inning of this of the first game of the season. We're like, oh god. Yeah. And he goes, Are you the announcer? And of course I'm like, Yeah. But he was wanting to get the piano. Yeah, so he goes, right. My son is not Jack Bradley. My son is <laughs> Jackie Bradley Jr. <laughs> and I was like, All right. He goes, Jackie Bradley Jr. And I was like, I got you. <laughs> so I, I am the person that named Jackie Bradley Jr. If I didn't run around and tell their broadcaster and, and the PA announcer, he'd still be Jack Bradley. Well, see, the problem there, the problem there is he was a junior, so you were offending two people. That's right. You were offending <laughs> him and his dad. And Jack Bradley, if he was just Jackie Bradley, might get away with right, it. Right, right. But he's like, no, he, he's, he's a junior. You're, but it's, it's tricky. You, you have this all the time. We had a player uh, on my team in Salem when I was with the Avalanche named Edwin Mice. Masonette, and I was calling him Edwin Masonette. Everybody called him Masonette. And I had a fan come tell me, well, you know that in Spanish, M-A-Y is actually pronounced my. He was a Puerto Rican player that spoke perfect English. So I went up to him and I said, hey, is your name Masonette or Masonette? And he was like, well, you know, it's really my, but don't worry about it. Right, you right. know, and I'm like, no, we want to get your name right. right. But when he was on the Milwaukee Brewers and I'm watching a Brewers game, it's and here to the plate is Edwin Masonette. <laughs> you know, so yeah. who knows? That, yeah, that, that's fun. And that, that's you see more, more and more with, with so many Latin players now oh, playing so baseball. True. With, the, so true. with the names can be challenging. Uh, see it in my students too. <laughs> I can't pronounce my students' names. It's challenging. Um, 
I would love to see Josh's announcer trying to pronounce some of those names. No, I, I, no. Adam's clearly an announcer. He can run through <laughs> these names. I, I struggle, and I type in, the, like, how do you pronounce it into Google, and that'll help me. Uh, and then I'll read the name three times before we do a show. <laughs> Smart. That's how you got to do it. But the Vito Nuno, getting back on topic. Yes. Yeah. One of us has to do that. Vita uh, or Vita? <laughs> All right. I, I, think, I think it's a Vita. I, I'd go Vita. I it would guess Vita. I thought right. it was V-I-D-A. I think it's L at the end. Whatever. It doesn't matter. The, 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 the point is, he was signed. He's going to take, I guess, like, how it kind of works is T.J. McFarlane's, uh, he's DFA'd. So we expect him to fill in that long, the, the long man spot. Which yes. makes sense because most of starters, besides Miley, are righties. He's a lefty to provide, you know, when those other teams stack their lineup against the righty, he can back them up as a lefty. Give him some, some advantage. It sounds like a pretty a pretty decent under the radar move, right? It's true, but you also have guys that are getting a little bit older, like Tyler Wilson and Mike Wright. Yeah. Who knows how they've advanced in this off season? And my guy that I'm going to be watching, I, I have had so much fun uh, riding buses with this guy over the years. But Oliver Drake does not have any options left. Yeah. And all Drake has done whenever he's been put somewhere is do, is do well. Navy guy, right? Correct. Yeah. From Navy, yeah. Yeah. He's Love the only guy. Oriole ever from the Naval Academy, which is pretty pretty oh, yeah, remarkable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, over a thousand players. You'd figure there'd be more than one. But but Drake, you know, for Oliver, he is uh you know, this is a year and and I think he is an asset. We we talked about this a little bit with Flaherty, where sometimes having options can hurt you on the team. Yeah. And I think the fact that Drake does not have options, people don't think of him as being a part of this team. But I, I think that with the success that he has had as a closer, you know, saving year games year, right? in the year, minor year leagues, the yeah, for multiple right. seasons in yeah. a row, I, I just feel like the Orioles know that if he doesn't make their team, especially if he pitches pretty well in the spring, somebody's going to pick him up, yeah. and they might uh, they might still away a different guy. Um, you know, and have Drake fill that role. Uh, who knows? Well, well, it seems like there's there's room for him. It seems like there, there's room, even with uh, Nuno. It seems like there's still room in there, right? Um, I mean, you have your the, the constant five, right? Of O'Day and Givens and Britton. Um, you could also start the year with four starters and an extra reliever, right? right. Uh, which it's is like something Tillman, that people are talking about with Tillman yeah. on the DL and kind of adjusting it that way. And maybe you do have a guy like a Nuno or a Tyler Wilson start that one game out of fifteen. I, right. th- there's a lot of ways it could go, especially at the beginning with some some off days. But it's really smart because uh, Dan Duquette loves and Buck Showalter loves the flexibilities of being able to call players up and down with options. Correct. Um, but they're taking it. Dan Duquette's taking it to a new level, and this is really intelligent. <laughs> by getting people like TJ McFarlane, who's so bad that no one will pick him up. So even without we, options, you DFA can move him up and down so and, yeah. and bring him up all day because no one's going to pick him up, right? <laughs> no, no, no one's going to pick up TJ McFarlane for $700,000 or right. whatever he's making. Um, but you're right. It'd, it'd be interesting to watch. Because those are all How much? options. Who's going to get? Who can go through DFA waivers? Who can't? All those are important factors. Right. When you and make I, decisions. I, I think also these guys who were in Bowie last year, who are kind of on that cusp, also have a little bit of advantage that Alan Mills is now up there, and that they've worked with Alan Mills. Alan Mills knows the guys well enough to say, 
hey, uh, Oliver Drake could come up here and he could help in this fashion. Yeah, Donnie Hart's probably a very good example of that. You know, who who knew who Donnie Hart was? My phone was blowing up when the Orioles reporters realized Donnie Hart might get called to the major leagues because no one knew who the heck he was. <laughs> Everyone's yeah. like, i got to call Adam and find out who. Yeah. <laughs> we got to write about this guy. I don't know. who Who's Donnie Hart? Yeah. So uh, I think that uh, there's a few guys that could be on that Donnie Hart scale, like a Jimmy Acabonis. We talked about that before this year, but... Uh, but yeah, I think it's only it's going to be good for Donnie, uh, who fills that role when the Orioles at let Mattis go. You know, we yeah. were talking about it in Bowie. Golly, you know, Hart really you wouldn't think about him. I mean, he's not even six feet tall. He was the Division two pitcher that got no bonus at all. Like, but this is what he does. Yeah, he's a but, left-handed pitcher good, left, that gets left-handed out. guys out. Yeah, one and, job. And and uh, and of course, when he 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 did nothing but perform. He was outstanding he was in great. Baltimore late in great. the year. So Hart's a guy that has options, but they might not have another guy that can do what he Just can do. Lefties out, yeah. And with Michael Gibbons last year, struggled to get uh, lefties out. Mm-hmm. You need that guy to bridge to the O'Days and the and the and the Britons at the end of the game. A couple other things I want to touch on here regarding the major league squad. Um, the Brad Brock wins arbitration or gets arbitration, right? He, yeah. he wins, which is unique because no one ever wins against the Orioles. <laughs> right, That's right. right. Brad Brock was the one guy to do it. Right. And, uh, ben McDonald was the last guy that, to win. Yeah. Yeah. Was he really? Yeah, yeah. That... Ben McDonald. It was what, twenty two years, I think. Yeah, well here here's your here's your uh, minor league dork stat. Ben McDonald, the keys started in nineteen eighty nine. He was the first Frederick Key to the major leagues. So he, it was a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but isn't it just irritating that the Orioles even went to arbitration? Doesn't that kind of just upset all the players? Like it's not just let's push Brock and maybe we'll upset Brock because he won't there's a chance we don't have to pay him all this money. Doesn't it upset all the guys who who want to believe that this team has their back? Well, I, it just it, ma- it, it makes me laugh because Caleb Joseph went through the process. I didn't hear Brock's <laughs> comments, but Caleb Joseph went through the process, lost, but said everyone was respectful and they were nice. And then recently, of course, there was the issue with the Yankees and Batances, right? Did oh, you guys yeah. See this? Yeah. And Batances' comments <laughs> after it. Here, here's what Batances said about it. Some of the stuff they said in that room, this is around arbitration, they value me as an eighth inning guy. Is it selfish of me to say now, hey guys, I just want to come in for the eighth inning with no runners on? That's not the player I am. I go out there and try to battle with my teammates. But now you go in that room and you say some and you see some 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 of that stuff. Do you put yourself at risk all the time? Is it fair for me to say that? So just this whole debate of like he's not putting it all out there for the team right. when the manager just puts him in the eighth inning, like he has no call for what his role is. Uh, so it's. It's it can get really ugly, and it has with Patans, and now they're talking about the effects that could have going into the season. And when you're, and like the point that they made with Patans is, I don't know, you're talking about two hundred million dollars for the Yankees, and you're fighting about two million dollars. It seems a bit silly with um, uh, Brad Brock. It, it was, was a difference of five hundred thousand dollars, right? So part of yourself just saying like, what's the point? Just just do it. And I I've always Especially... taken the perspective of since the players never lose. Like the players should just go in there and saying, "Okay, I'll sign for what you want me to sign," because I always lose. But just throw in like a twenty-five dollar gift card to Jimmy John's or something. <laughs> so I feel like I got walked away with something a little more than what you offered. Uh, but I mean, Brad Brock won it, so yeah. Well, especially when it's it's you're talking five hundred thousand, and instead you just you we've signed like three guys this year and offered them like one million, two million dollars, and here we're talking half a million for a guy who we know is going to help. Josh, if you're a boss and and your stuff went for a drag up battle about your next year's salary uh <laughs> do you feel comfortable that you could um win that case 
Um, having that battle. We, we, They're going to point out every time you were late, every we're, time you uh We're, we're, in, the middle, we're in the middle of that discussion. Yeah. And uh, remember that awkward time last year where I had a problem with my driver's license? Yeah. That's, that's coming that's up with this discussion. discussion. Yeah. yeah. Are you guys $500,000 apart, though? Uh, <laughs> we are not. If we were 500000 apart, I'd probably just give in and go for the gift card. <laughs> yeah, that's the other element, too. It's all beyond my head, over my head, because we're talking about millions of dollars here where... Shoot. Right, it doesn't. Yeah, try try to make that math work in your day to day life. It doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work. Doesn't work. All right, um, going. Th- I think we covered all the news. The only other thing we have on our notes that we we, we should mention. This is our daily uh, Matt Weeders update. Yeah, he's still, still out there. Isn't this? It's oh, ridiculous. It, isn't this kind of crazy? And everyone's kind of scratching their head with why. I'm I'm in the same position. Yeah, Matt Weeders could make a whole bunch of teams better. It's, it's right. It's he may not be. be he may not meet Jesus in cleats, but he's <laughs> he's an above average catcher who couldn't make a lot of teams better. Why? What? Do you have any insight into why? What? What's up with this? Not really. You know, it's it's surprising, but obviously, the, there's got to be a lot going on behind the scenes, and and guys misjudge their markets, and we saw that, of course, with Trumbo, as he tried to go for or or turn down uh, the qualifying offer right. when, in theory, if he took the qualifying offer, played. At that number, he could be a free agent again and possibly get a a, a deal, even though he's getting to an age where, right. where you want to try to get that last solid contract. And the Orioles so, look a little foolish for offering Matt Weeders a qualifying offer last year because they probably could have gotten him for a lot cheaper. Yeah, but but with Weeders, he is... Uh, I just think it has to be that. He, he probably priced himself out of the market, and, yeah. and everybody has a value that they're worth. It, you know, if... If the Orioles signed Zach Britton uh, to a five-year deal at, 50, at, let's say, $55 million, people would say, oh, my God, that's an incredible deal. But right. if they sign him to a five-year deal at $150 million, people would say, this is ridiculous. What are we doing? Right. So it's it's not just about the quality of the player, but but the value. And I just think that, uh, that Weeders... Wants to, think, but we'll have to see. Who knows? I mean, this is just speculation. Because even even Adam, even um, I'm sorry, even Trumbo was able to settle for yeah. a multi-year deal. Maybe not Correct. quite what he's right. wanted. Weeders, is, no Weeders gonna, is, is there a multi-year deal out there for? No, I, I think I think Scott Boris finally lost after pushing all. He, well, he pushes, pushes, see. pushes, tells people to wait, and we're waiting and seeing. And the only news on Matt Weeders is that the Nationals weren't willing to go past one year and that the Rays offered one year. And there's no... there's What does Scott Boris love? The mystery team. He can't even put out there the <laughs> fake mystery team. Yeah. There's no interest in Matt Weeders. Yeah. Even I, Frickus right, Davis, I, he was, uh, they were able to find the Detroit Tigers right to be now, that team to, to bid against. But I won't be surprised if he comes back to the Orioles for one year. No way. Zero chance. I don't know. I mean, Better chance he goes to the there. Rays. Here the word well, yeah, because the, the Rays actually offered, made an yeah, offer. Yeah. But it, Matt Weeders isn't going to want to go to Tampa for one year. I could see him saying, "That might be his only I'll, option." I'll, I'll come one at, year, I'll come reset the, the market. Hopefully, uh, work out better for him right, next year. Right, right. Maybe, That's maybe crazy. whatever that that thing where he dropped a glass on his wrist in November and cut himself was worse than we all thought. I don't know. And everyone mentions the pitch framing as the factor. It's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. 
I just think uh, one of the funny things is Corbin Joseph, who when when Corbin was in the minor leagues at the beginning was looked upon as like maybe a Brandon Inge type that he's a catcher, but he's not really good enough defensively, even though he's but he's very athletic. So maybe he could play some catcher, play some third base. He's going to be able to hit probably at the big league level. And now what is he? He's a great defensive catcher who can't hit. And and obviously you you hope that that would change. uh, But uh, or this year that he'll be able to turn the corner offensively the big league level but it's just so funny how things can change yeah you 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 can speculate and predict to make all these you know and and make all these rankings Mm -hmm. uh, but at the end of the day the players some players will perform and some players won't and you gotta go with what you with your performance what you do on the field yeah the rays haven't released uh how much they offered but apparently it's one year and the tampa media is saying it would be less than 10 million yeah for one year yeah. That's a big downfall. They're trying to do another Steve Pierce type deal. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, I don't understand. I, I don't. Like, even if you're a rebuilding team, it sounds like signing for a two or three year deal, he sounds like the kind of guy you, that you can trade. It's not because the contract certainly is not going to be high at this point. Right. So it sounds I, like I, uh, someone like it's perfect for Tampa Bay, one year deal, then flip them the trade deadline if they're not winning. That's like what they do. I yeah. Mean, I, 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 I'm really surprised. Yeah. I think the Orioles, I think the Orioles. Uh, with this, they couldn't wait to try to call Scott Boris's bluff, so they had to go and uh, and replace Weeders. Yeah, but, but uh, if they never signed they, Castillo, they didn't sign Castillo, this might be a good opportunity. Right. This, yeah. would be the, this would be the move because Weeders is not going to make that much more. Yeah, yeah, we got a um, and Adam Pohl has been joining us uh, for this edition, section three thirty six. We got to wrap things up. I'm afraid to say another player's name. Because Adam's going to tell me another cool, entertaining story about when he was at Frederick. <laughs> oh, but if I but, drop another name, but see, I've got one I'm more, okay. yeah, one okay. more question for Adam because okay. yes. he knows the minor leagues way better than us. Yeah, and there's one things that, that that happens in minor league baseball that you do not get at the pro level. Oh, when the dog, when the, the dogs, monkey the monkeys, rides the, the, dog. the <laughs> yes. weird stuff. Yeah. What is your favorite of all the weird travel in minor question. league ballpark promo things? Oh, that's a great question. What's that, my favorite? The, the um. Hmm, I, I'll tell you, the craziest event, and this would probably have to be its own podcast with how long the story would be, but but the craziest night I ever worked in minor league baseball or event I was ever a part of was the Cowboy Monkey Rodeo in Frederick. <laughs> but they, they do that like every year. Like Correct. That's, that's, a, Correct. that's a travel and it's a staple. That hits all of the minor league parks. Correct. And, and I was the person that brought the Cowboy Monkey Rodeo to Frederick. And well, you uh, brought it to Frederick. You had it in the back of your car. You oh, know? I did. I did. I, I saw them in Wilmington, Delaware, which is the first ballpark they ever did. And uh, at that time, I was running all the marketing and promotions for the Keys. And I went back and I said, we got to do this. <laughs> and I just had no idea uh, what it was going to be. But uh, but I'll tell you, it was, it was a, it's a remarkable story that includes... Uh, myself uh, getting put up on PETA's worldwide website. I got about 500 emails. Oh, because you're, used, you're, you're, you're yeah. using animals for it, entertainment. It, it includes um, the a guy that runs the Cowboy Monkey Rodeos having two of his goats that the monkeys chase <laughs> getting loose and running rampant throughout Frederick. Oh, and they can be hard to catch. Trust yes. me, wait, I know. Wait, so the monkeys ride goats? The monkeys chase goats. The monkeys ride dogs. The monkeys that ride dogs all, and chase. chase sheep. Basically, is what it goes. Yeah, it was it, it was unbelievable. So so that that is a that's one of the most bizarre ever. 
Have you have the Bay Sox announced like this year what some of the promotions are? This is a great timing. We're going to announce it Thursday at noon. So, right, so the, the out, uh, yeah. promotional schedule will be coming out. And I tell you what, Adam, we are running out of time, but we're gonna. Here's what we're gonna need to do. We're gonna need to have another show with Adam on, where we just hear his stories from promotions and other crazy <laughs> stories from minor leagues. Just the entire show. Yeah, that I, sounds great. Yes, we're gonna make that happen. A couple of things going on as wrap. A couple of things going on in the chat room. I've been ignoring it. I, I uh, have been too. Yes. I want. I want. So someone mentioned last week's show about um, uh, how we mentioned entertaining millennials. We talked about theories for extra innings. Yeah. Perhaps deciding Any, to buy a hot dog race. Anything better than starting um, someone on second base. Yeah. And this person says he pr- proposes the hipster condiment race. <laughs> Sriracha versus guacamole versus wasabi. I think it's a great idea. I'll tell okay. you this. I, I had a uh, Twitter conversation with somebody. I think after the Nats got eliminated last year in, in a six-hour and 85-minute uh, game or whatever. Yeah, right. You know, about, boy, you know, th- this is what the commissioner wants to be different. And they brought a really interesting point to me, which was that uh, they think that Baseball might be trending a little bit more towards uh, how we consume data because of the fact that the game is broken apart as it is. You're able to watch the game, but also converse, you know, on your I phone like the, a little yeah. bit more so yeah. than, uh, than, than, than you would in other sports. And, and it's it's really so true. true. It's so much fun for me that I call games all year that when I watch postseason baseball, I'm always just looking at what people are saying on Twitter, but still right. watching the entire game. Well, yeah, and that that's the best part when you're at the stadium. Yeah. And a play goes under review. What do you, we all do? We <laughs> yeah, grab out our, grab phones our phones to see what people watching on TV see, see what the reporters in the press box are saying, or in between breaks. And yeah, it, it baseball fits into that. Um, where yeah, other sports don't, and you're seeing, especially I think it was was it this week or the week before where Sports Center completely rebranded itself. I had it on. I had it on. I didn't even realize it was Sports Center. Oh yeah. Because, oh yeah. Sports Center at six. Yeah, yeah. yeah sports Center at six. Yeah. It's, it's like you're watching Entertainment Tonight for yeah. sports. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's weird, and it's all trying to connect to this millennial generation. Right. Yeah. Another comment, though. I'm afraid to read any more comments because you guys could go on another twenty minute rant here. Another comment. <laughs> I love to see some young guns develop. This is from Charlie on the uh, Charlie. Uh, I love to see some young guns develop. I've never really seen the Orioles develop a truly good pitcher. Yeah, let's bring in the cavalry. But my first game I ever saw, Mike Messina was in his prime and started the game. I was six or seven. I have loved them ever since and loved him ever since. Um, yeah. So uh, another one mentions uh, Michael. How he's enjoying all these stories. So yeah, some good stuff from from, from, from the chat room. All right. And, uh, all right. Thank you. There's no comments about that, guys. All right. We, I thought, I could, let me tell you this. Mike, Mike Musina, when he was eight years old, Mike? his third-year-old teacher, third-grade teacher told me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got to get out of here. Um, as far as you, Adam, we appreciate you spending some time with us. What's what's uh? Do you have some stuff going on at Baltimore Baseball that you can talk us about? Yeah, you know, I have a I have a weekly minor league. I mean, it's called podcast, but it's done a little bit differently. It's basically a little twenty to thirty minute show. A lot of times, it's an interview. I try to interview somebody that I actually know. So with that, it's a little bit geared more towards double and triple A okay. or towards Orioles staffers. But I've talked to scouts. I've talked to roving instructors. But specifically geared towards the Orioles, right? Orioles yeah. minor leagues. Yeah, and, it's, and it's very interesting. Yeah. I get confused every time I turn on look for your show. Uh, I always go to Baltimore Baseball and listen to it there. I don't subscribe to it or anything right? because I'm confused by the title because it's minor league podcasts. And right. Right. That's what it's yeah. called. 
It, yeah, so I get, Orioles I get, minor league podcast. Right, yeah, right. Okay. I just get confused with the title because <laughs> it's so straightforward. But I'll tell you, I, I, um, that, that shows that I'm not very creative. And they said, "What do you want to name it?" I'm like, Rrr. I mean, but, well, but this is Orioles. It is yeah. Orioles yeah. minor league yeah. podcast. There you go. Right. Exactly. It, it was. Yeah, we but, were not creative. But right yeah. now, I'm really excited because I broadcast for Mount St. Mary's basketball, and, and the mountain is on a big run and a good chance. I mean, I have a real chance to uh, make it to either the NIT or the NCAA tournament in the next few weeks oh really cool cool that, that's exciting yeah so, so you'll be busy with the broadcasting and the and the podcast a podcast <laughs> sorry my mic just you know just drooped um the it happens sometimes okay it just happens <laughs> part of life yep. part of life um but i would definitely check out the minor, minor league podcast this is i you dropped some names tonight that i was that i need to go look into uh, more so it was and that's something that even as like i consider myself an avid Orioles fan but there's so many players and they come and yeah, go so much that you kind of have to stay on top of it. And you're, I'm right. sure it's a great listen to stay on top of our minor league right. system. That That's way, great. when a guy like Donnie Hart makes it to the majors, we know who he is. Absolutely. Exactly. Before, before he right. appears. Right. We, we put it right. Kind of like we keep telling our listeners, hang out with us and Alex Murphy because one day you'll know who he is. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, you can uh, follow us. Uh, you can follow and watch the show and listen. Watch and listen every Monday evening at 730 on Facebook. You can also like us on uh, Facebook. You can yeah, you subscribe on iTunes. I know I just said it. It's all these terms. You can follow us on 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 uh, the Twitters just at Section type, Three Thirty Six Show. Type Section Three Thirty Six into anything on your computer, and it'll come up. Subscribe on iTunes. Write us a review on iTunes. All that good stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at Section Three Three Six. Adam, if they want to follow you on Twitter, where, where can they follow you? I'm at Pole Adam. P O H L Adam. And you can follow Josh on Twitter at Josh Soroka. Thanks for listening, boys and girls. And as always, go O's. Section 336 is a affiliate of 24-7 Networks. Find Section 336 on utahstreetreport.com. Go Bowie.